Welcome to the Military Child Education Coalition podcast, the show that highlights a wide range of challenges and triumphs that our military-connected kids experience. My name is Dickie Harrison, and I'll be your host today. We would like to say thank you for the support of the Davis Monthan Spouses Club for this episode. I am so excited to have Dr. Lesperance with me, and I would love for you to tell our listeners a little bit about yourself. Well, hello, Vicki. Thank you so much for having me on today. My name is Gabby Lesperance, and I'm the Director of Insights at the Military Family Advisory Network, which means I get the great pleasure of doing research and evaluating programs for military families and veteran families. And that means that I get to spend every single day talking to families about their lived experiences, reading their messages, looking at data, and then sharing it with groups like yours so that we can really understand the nuanced experiences of military life. But before I did all of that, I was a researcher at the University of Nebraska. I love to teach. I live in Omaha with my two dogs and my husband, and I'm really excited to be here. Thank you so much. I'm excited for you to be with us and really love all that the Military Family Advisory Network does. And so since some of our listeners may not know about your organization, can you tell our listeners a little bit about who you are? The Military Family Advisory Network, or MFAN, was founded 10 years ago to fill a persistent gap in the military community, the inability to quickly, efficiently, effectively connect with resources that military families need to thrive. And we really are proud to stand along so many other organizations in this space, including MSEC, to kind of fill the gap where military families might need support and resources that they don't know how to access. We envision a world where military-connected families are empowered to thrive, and that means that we do everything we can to understand and amplify the stories and needs of military-connected families to inspire data-informed change. I love that, and I think as we were talking a little bit earlier, I told you I've been a longtime follower of MFAN, and all that you do, your programs and your resources are incredible for our military families, so I'm appreciative of those. So in 2002, research showed that one in six military and veteran families experienced food insecurity. And I think in our community, we're not always aware that this is actually a challenge. Could you tell us what food insecurity is? It's an interesting term because it's out there so often. But when you ask someone, especially about their own situation, to say, are you food insecure? It's a really fuzzy question. So The USDA provides a definition that's pretty easy to understand of food security. It's access at all times to enough food for an active and healthy lifestyle. So when you think about food insecurity, it's the inverse of that. It's not having enough food at any point within the past year to sustain an active, healthy lifestyle. And that last year piece is important because of how we all measure food insecurity. So the USDA provides that definition. They also provide a scale. It's got a long title. It's the six-item short-form food security scale. But essentially, it's six questions that we can ask of families about their food situation. And even one answer says that they're struggling in some way with food insecurity. But when we get into more and more answers, the incidences of food insecurity become more severe. So when we're thinking from two to six affirmative answers, When you and I talk about food insecurity, that's the population we're thinking about. But even one indicator of food insecurity means that people are struggling. And so when we think about food insecurity as a broad concept, right, it's access 
at all times to the food you need for an active and healthy lifestyle. But when we measure food insecurity and we say that one in six are food insecure, it's that one in six have said yes to two to four items on this USDA scale. I think that's really important to know because I didn't know there was a, a scale and there's indicators. And I think you're you're really talking about something I was going to talk about a little bit later, but like the screening, like are there specific screening tools to determine if you're food insecure? And it sounds like there is, and it's good to know where that statistic comes from. So when we think of food insecure, we also think of hunger. And what's the difference between hunger and food insecure? And really, is it about that access? Yeah, I heard something one time that really stuck with me as we started studying this food insecurity in the military space and hearing others study too, right? Our research doesn't stand alone in this space. Even the DOD has said that 24% of active duty service members are food insecure. But when we think about hunger, it's engaging. We all can empathize with the idea of hunger, but hunger is an individual sensation. When we think about it, though, it's tied back to deeper roots and deeper causes. So yes, I'm hungry, but it's because I have a lack of food. On the flip side of that, when we think about food insecurity, that is a household level measure of inadequate access. So when food insecurity is the root cause, hunger is what people experience because of it or as a result of food insecurity. But that means that a lot of people, a lot of organizations who do the kind of work that we do refer to food insecurity as hunger. And so those terms are so often synonymous. But when we're thinking about how we research the topic, hunger is that individual sensation, whereas food insecurity is kind of that root cause. I think that's great to be able to differentiate between the two. And even though they're related, they're still different. And I like that you highlighted that that food insecurity is more of on a household level. And I think that's important for all of us to know that it's bigger than sometimes what we think. So what are some causes of food insecurity? And are there any short-term or long-term effects? Well, I'm so glad you asked that question because we asked the exact same question a few years back. We started studying food insecurity. We started hearing about it in our community. And we realized that although a lot of people were talking about it, no one really knew what caused food insecurity for the military and veteran population that we're all serving. And so we did some research and we asked people to tell us their stories. And when we think about food insecurity and the cause, we want to look upstream. So we looked at causal factors, those upstream moments in a military family life that if avoided, could prevent them from experiencing food insecurity altogether. So we talked to 300 plus families and we asked them about their experiences. And there were four common themes that emerged, four common causal factors. They include a recent PCS or permanent change of station, spousal unemployment, growing your family, and experiencing an unexpected out-of-budget expense that tips the balance towards food insecurity. Any of these moments of vulnerability, really, could set a family on a path towards food insecurity, but it doesn't mean that it will absolutely happen. These are just the common causal factors that could play a role in experiencing food insecurity down the line. But we also know that these happen pretty regularly for military families, especially that PCS. If you're PCSing every two and a half to three years, and that's a moment of vulnerability, 
that can be a cycle that may be difficult to break out of. And our research showed just that, that although families are doing the right things, they're thinking through their budget, they're experiencing the same national tensions that we all are, that same increased inflation, the same tightening of the belt, really. And then on top of that, those nuanced experience of the military life can make it a little bit harder. Absolutely. And I'm so glad that you talked about these four causal factors or common themes. And I was, as you were saying them, as you know, a military now veteran family, I'm like shaking my head to the PCSing, the, you know, loss of spouse employment. Every time my husband moved, I, you know, I had to leave a job and find another job. And really, I thought about, too, our Oconus families that are overseas. We have had the opportunity to be stationed overseas. And, you know, food can get very costly, you know, if you're shopping out on the economy. And the commissaries got great things, but sometimes not the same of what you're used to stateside. And so I thought about that, you know, being a factor. Absolutely. I think you've touched on an important point, right? That military families are essentially a sample of the total U.S. population, the total population around the world. And that means that they're not immune to all the effects that we all experience, right? Rising cost of living, inflation, difficulty finding childcare. All of these things are common experiences. But because of the nuances of military life, the living OCONUS, the recent PCS, the ongoing PCS, the struggle with spousal employment, some of those things that we're all facing become just a little bit more difficult to manage. And then they happen every three years. And that becomes a really difficult thing to overcome. We know that this population is highly mobile, but is there anything else? The high mobility, the frequency, as you mentioned, is absolutely a component of it. But then there's also just the fact, right, that, for example, childcare is pricey. And when you come to a new location, having to get childcare again and again can become difficult. And so although not all military families experience food insecurity, those that do face unique hurdles and challenges to overcoming it. And what we see from our causal factors research is that oftentimes food insecurity journey is difficult to exit simply because those hurdles are frequent, they're repetitive, and they're difficult to overcome because families often don't know where to go for resources. And that's not to say that the resources don't exist. That's just to say that when you're in a new location every three years, it's really hard to know where the WIC office is. And it's really hard to better understand where your food bank is and how to navigate that complex system. So it's not just military families, but it's absolutely a nuance of military life that makes it a little bit more tricky to manage. Access or knowledge of resources, I think, is really important because I think sometimes our families, we, you know, you don't know what you don't know a lot of times. And I'm going to highlight, you know, even for our veteran families, I know we're, you know, we're talking about both populations and or for those families who are have a service member that's separating, it can still be challenging, right? Because, you know, maybe some of those resources that you used to have access to, you no longer have access to. So I always like to highlight, you know, the veteran status changes it up too, <laughs> right? Absolutely does. It absolutely does. The military life journey is never stagnant and neither are the inability to get resources and all of those things. It constantly changes. 
if we think about the frequent and repetitive things in military life, change is the thing. And that brings about a change in resources and all the other things as well. Earlier, you talked about the indicator uh, that, you know, if you if a family identifies one or two of those those questions that they're asked, those are indicators of food insecurity. And so I think that obviously is a great screening tool to have. Are there any red flags as a parent, as someone who's substituted in the school system? I think about students and coming to school hungry. And, you know, I had my son had a teacher that used to have a a little desk that had like granola bars in it that kids could come up and get in the morning and they didn't have to say anything. And of course, that could have, you know, potentially be a red flag. But are there any others that we could look for? Absolutely. You're right, Nikki. When we think about screening tools, the USDA six item short form food security scale is a mouthful, but it is the gold standard when we're studying food insecurity. But that doesn't mean that everyone has the tools available to them to ask everybody six questions when they come through the door, right? And so what we want to do instead is look for those moments of vulnerability for families that might experience food insecurity down the road. So say someone comes through your doors or contacts your organization to say, hey, I just recently PCSed and I need support around finding school enrollment for my kids. They need more support than that. Food insecurity support should always be part of the response because those moments of vulnerability are the red flags. A recent PCS, bringing home a new bundle of joy, an unexpected expense, right? These things are moments of vulnerability. And if we can catch them early, we might be able to prevent a family from being food insecure at all. So really starting upstream and realizing that any need for support should come with additional information about the WIC office, about local food banks, talking about food insecurity to really make sure that those red flags are covered from every angle is one of the best things we can do. You're right. Going back to those indicators that you talked about, those common themes, the vulnerability pieces with families and having that be something that you're knowledgeable about and being able to be aware of, I think is really important as well. So how can we help those that are experiencing food insecurity? We talked about those indicators that we notice as moments of vulnerability. What are the resources though? Because sometimes we don't know what they are or what's available. And that's part of the struggle, that resources in every location are different, right? So when we move to a new place, we're not going to know necessarily the landscape of resources that are at our fingertips, if they are at our fingertips at all. But one of the amazing things about this issue in particular is that almost everywhere has a food bank or a food pantry. And so locating that resource and making it accessible to military and veteran families is one of the most helpful things we can do across the board. And once you really know that a food bank, although they seemingly a very intimidating experience, has a pretty low barrier to entry, has really amazing, helpful resources for more than just food insecurity. Going in the threshold the first time is the hardest part, but going back to a new location time and time again becomes much easier. So I really recommend that. But one of the things that everyone in our community can do, and Nikki, you and I are doing such a great job of it today, is just talking about food insecurity. We hear from military and veteran families all the time that they face a stigma when they experience food insecurity. 
there's so much pride in service for our military community. And one of the things that can become really difficult is asking for help, especially when it comes to providing food for your family. And when we think about destigmatizing this topic and making it as easy as pe- we can for people to access resources, talking about it is a huge help. Knowing that other military families are experiencing something similar and knowing that other veteran families are experiencing something similar and knowing that there are resources out there to help really makes a huge difference in destigmatizing it across our community so that anyone can feel comfortable passing over that threshold and going into a local food bank. I think it's important to talk about the food banks because they are usually in most communities and they're local and it's it's such a great point of access for our families and food drives I think are fantastic as well. One of the things that I was going to highlight because I I literally was just in the commissary last week, you know, which are our grocery stores have military installations for our the listeners that may not know what a commissary is. It's like our own version of a of a Publix, <laughs> I feel like, or an Albertsons. But I love that there are always these brown paper bags. It, it depends. Like sometimes they're on a table, sometimes they're in a bin, but they're and there's non-perishables in those, you know, brown paper bags that are stapled together. And you can just pick one up, pop it in your your cart, uh, and purchase it along with everything else. And that gets donated back to families in need. And I love that, that that's available. So if you're able to do it, you know, look for those brown paper bags in there. I think I hadn't been in the commissary in a long time. So I think I, I put like five in my bat, in my cart because I try to do it every time I go. But I think it's, again, resources like that, that for those of us that can help support our families is great. Um, and I will going to have to figure out what the name of the bag is. I just know it's a brown paper bag. But there's also, there's so many ways to give back, whether it's grabbing a bag at the commissary or even volunteering time. The, those food banks need our support just as much as the military and veteran families that they can serve too. And so volunteering time is a huge benefit. Yes, for sure. I think that's a great, uh, a great point to highlight. So are there any best practices for community organizations working to reduce food insecurity? I love that you talked about the USCA. That indicator is like the gold star standard for kind of an evaluation tool, I would I would say. Are there any other best practices, though, for those community organizations? Absolutely. And that is not to say that every organization should implement the USDA scale. It can be a barrier to access, especially when we think about a family who's coming in in urgent, immediate need. But one of the best things that organizations who are providing services can do is make them human-centered and focused on the client. That means reducing barriers. That means making it as easy as possible, but also humanizing it in a way that makes it low stigma, that makes it even a fun experience. Bring the kids, let them read a book while you're going through the food pantry. Let it be a grocery store type experience and provide services that are kind of there for full support, right? You're not just coming to pick up a bag of non-perishable food items. There might be a book in there. There might be access to employment information. There might be access to childcare information. There might be a flyer for the local WIC office. All of these things help to make 
what seems like a very stressful, big, scary moment for someone who's coming in to ask for help as easy as it can be. And so really centering design, centering all of the things around the people you're intending to serve and lowering those barriers to access is the best that anyone can ask for. I love the idea that you talked about with the food banks or even food drives of putting in other information that's not specifically related necessarily to food insecurity, but it's childcare. It's, you know, maybe it's um, the library. You know what I mean? The the local library has some fun activities or events that are coming up and putting that in there. I, I think that's fantastic. And I think that's definitely a best practice. And I was also thinking, you know, we we're talking a lot about community organizations but these military families, specifically if you're you're still in that active status, they're attached to units and battalions and regiments and and all these different things. And they're doing their their own versions of food banks and food drives. And and those are resources that are available as well. Over the years, my husband's units have always had something where, you know, families can come and if they need something, they're able to help and support. That culture is phenomenal and something we should all be able to implement. It is. It it really, really is. And the camaraderie is amazing to, you know, when you kind of that support to lift everyone up and especially around the holidays, you know, we're talking about food insecurity. And I wanted to mention earlier about You know, we're going into that time of year where there's Thanksgiving, there's holidays, they tend to be centered around food. And we're just coming off a PCS season summer. So, I mean, this is a hard time of year for a lot of families. You're right. It's every time you move, there's there's something um, different about each one. So do you have any specific resources that are available to our military connected families? I know we've talked about quite a few of them. We've talked about units and support services, and we've talked about local community organizations that have some sort of resources. But is there anything else, resources or program space, or maybe something that even MFAN is doing specifically? Absolutely. We've talked about so many today. You're absolutely right. From local food banks and food pantries to installation-wide support services, WIC offices, local on off base are available to help those growing families, specifically when we think about those kiddos under five. And then when you think about MFAN, we have so many more resources available on our website. So if you're interested in resource connection or research, you can visit us at MFAN.org, M-F-A-N.org, and learn more about the resources that we recommend and provide as well as some of the research we've done about food insecurity. I think that's fantastic. And we'll make sure to put those links in our show notes as well so that anyone that's listening has access to them. And this is such an important issue to talk about. I think you're right. We as a community tend to struggle with asking for help and are sometimes very secretive and we can, you know, do it all on our own and, you know, just saying it's okay to ask for help. Uh, it's okay to reach out if you need help. And so I think it's important. I appreciate you taking time out of your day to talk with us about food insecurity and everything that MFAN's doing. And so I'm just so thankful. Thank you, Nikki. It's been a wonderful conversation. We really appreciate being involved. 
I'd like to thank Dr. Les Brons for her time today, as this is an important conversation to have on this topic. I also would like to thank the Military Family Advisory Network for all that they do for our military-connected families. Thanks for listening to the MSEC podcast, the official podcast of the Military Child Education Coalition. If you've enjoyed this episode, please like, share, subscribe, and give today's show a five-star rating. And don't forget to leave us a comment on topics you'd like to hear more about. We'd like to give a special thanks again to the Davis Monthan Spouses Club for supporting this episode and Consentus Media for audio mixing. I'm Nikki Harrison, and until next time, in a world where you can be anything, be kind. Be kind.